All right, George, here okay. we go. Great. Feel pumped? Feel good? Pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. All right. <laughs> That's some, we're not going to put this in? This is just us getting ready. Everybody listening, we're not going to put this in the podcast. This is me warming up yeah. my voice. Get it right over this. Trekkies, Trekkers, Trekkists, and other nerds, welcome to another episode of Worst Scene, the podcast where we watch a great movie and a bad movie, and then compare the worst scene in the great movie to the best scene in the bad one. I'm your co-host Richard, and here with me as always is... Uh, Ensign First Class co-host George. Very good Star Trek tie-in, George. <laughs> Today we're discussing two movies, as usual, per the concept of the podcast. One of which is Star Trek IV, an inspired, funny film that truly captures the spirit of Star Trek at its best, as well as Star Trek V, which truly captures William Shatner at all of his Shatner. Fantastic. And that is true. Very true. If you're listening to this podcast, you may already know that as a general rule of thumb, you can feel that the films of the original cast, if they are even numbered, are good movies. And if they are odd-numbered, they are weak movies. And I fully agree with that, with a caveat that Star Trek Three is also pretty good. You feel the same way, George? I love Star Trek Three. It's my favorite. It's the weirdest one. Um, so yes, I agree with you. And well, how would you rank the, the original cast Star Trek films? Uh, I would say DeForest Kelly, uh, followed by Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, Uhura, uh, and then it's all up for grabs after that. Oh, you mean the movie? <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess, I mean, like, the, the conventional wisdom is, like, is it, like, four, two, six, three, one? Yeah. Five? Uh, I would probably say four, three, six, two. Oh. And then five, one. Huh? One is probably at the bottom. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but, um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I have some thoughts. Eventually, I hope we can do six. That would be kind of fun to do, um, maybe six and seven. Yeah, I think we should definitely do six. I would say my ranking would be four, mm -hmm. six, two, three, five, one. Because one is almost not a Star Trek film. In the, like in the traditional sense, the original sense, it was trying to elevate Star Trek into something that it wasn't and yeah. failed to do so. It was too reliant on... I don't know, it was really leaning on 2001, but I have a feeling we might cover that at some point. I have a feeling <laughs> about that as well. So I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, now, we just mentioned that the even-numbered ones tend to be better than the odd-numbered ones, and something that really distinguishes the even-numbered films from the odd ones is that the even ones are all to some degree or another written by Nicholas Meyer, mm. who also directed number two and number six, while the odd-numbered ones are not written by Nicholas Meyer. He's probably the biggest influence on Star Trek's tone and success outside of Gene Roddenberry himself. And though he's not really known outside of Star Trek, he was nominated for an Oscar in the 70s for his script for The 7% Solution that mm. was based on his own novel. That's so, a fun movie. It's fairly accomplished. Yeah. So yeah, Star Trek IV. Great, fun movie that I really love. As I mentioned already, it's my favorite Star Trek film. 
George, what's the worst scene in this movie? Uh, did I write that down? Probably. Um, well, I would like to say a few things about Star Trek Four before I would like to praise it before we bury it. Um, I watching this again. I don't think I've seen this thing for fifteen years or so. I've seen bits and pieces on TV. Um, I remember seeing it, and it was so much fun, especially after two and three, which were really heavy movies. Like, uh, you know, Spock dying in two. Spoiler alert. Uh, you can't say spoiler alert after the thing. Whatever. After the fact. Not the th Look, I'm not going to have an argument with myself about grammar, okay? I'm just not going to do it. All right, fine, then keep moving. All right, we're going. And then three was so weird and also really heavy. Spoiler alert. Kirk's son gets killed by uh, Doc Brown, and that's really weird. That's very uh, weird movie crossover. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's it's strange. Um it's a Klingon bird of prey that runs on the same uh, Mr. Fusion uh, fuel supply as the revamped um, DeLorean from the end of Back to the Future. I need to take a nap. I'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> All right, that was uh, that was great. Um, so it was it was kind of like we needed some breathing room after the last two films, and and this really is pretty much all breathing room. <laughs> it's really this is um, it's like. Everyone gets to do what they're good at for the most part. Uhura doesn't really have a lot to do in this movie, unfortunately, but uh, her eyeshadow is incredible. Incredible. So that, like, kind of does a lot of work for her. But, I mean, really, <laughs> it really is, like, this is just a whole, this movie is, like, an entire, it's just a riff. It's just an entire riff on on not just Star Trek, um, but, like... <laughs> But the and not just the characters, but also the actors playing the characters. Um, I think Shatner does some of his best work in this film. But I, but I've been a fan of Shatner for most of my life. And this actually, I think that technically this is the first genuinely fun Star Trek movie. Uh, people would say Wrath of Khan, but no, Wrath of Khan's heavy. Wrath of Khan is like really nasty. You got those earbuds. That's not fun. It's an it's a great action movie, but it's not. This is a comedy. Yeah. And this is like, this is kind of like, all right, we're going to show you what we can do. And, and that is actually everything. And it's and it's wide open and it's not some holy thing. It's just, yeah. Uh, well, I also wanted to note, I forget, it's been so long since I've seen this uh, original cast Star Trek movie. Um, the sideburns, the men's sideburns are very pointy in these films. Did you notice that? They're all in a very, uh, look it up on the internet. Um, they are very, very sharp and pointy. This feels very similar to how I feel about R two D 2s beeps. Ah, what you're describing. <laughs> but no, it's weird. It's it's like it's like they all have that weird button navel cloak or you know shirt thing, and pointy sideburns. It's 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 great. I'm not complaining, but um, that was just the style. That was the style um, of thing. that century. And also this uh this film um. 1986, I think it capitalized on that mid '80s headband craze. Uh, you know, a lot of films and pop culture headbands were in, like uh, uh, the Karate Kid, Rambo, uh, Pat Benatar, and now Spock all got to wear headbands uh, to adoring crowds. Jesus Christ! Um, <laughs> all right, so. I, I want to say before I get to the worst scene, I want to say my favorite scene in this movie is the scene with the punk on the bus. Just where is our future? The things we've done and said. Let's just push the button. We'd be better off dead. Because I hate you. you. 
mind stopping that noise. The song, as heard here, actually was written and recorded by that punk, I think the night before they shot that scene. Yeah, he's not an actor. He's, no. He was working on the production of the yeah. film. And like, there was a part for a punk on a bus, and I think he went up to Nimoy and said, hey, I could do that part. And he was like, why would you want to do that part? And and uh, then the next day he shows up with a shaved head. He's like, here, listen to this tape I made. And like, all right, you're on, and your your song is on. And it's like, it's like you guys don't have to pay to license it. Like, it's free. I recorded it into my boombox. And so I love that. I love the the energy in that scene. It's very much unlike what it is like to be on a bus in San Francisco where people just go crazy and no one no one Vulcan nerve pinches anyone. It's a drag. Uh <laughs> So, um, all right, I'm gonna like I'm not gonna dick around much more than this, but um, I almost picked, uh, I almost picked the scene where Bones and Scotty are trying to get the guy to build the glass tank for him, and um, instead of paying them, Scotty gives him the formula for uh, was it invisible aluminum or transparent aluminum? Watching Scotty type on that uh, on that old thing, I, I love that he's like talking into the mouse like computer and hello computer just use the keyboard the keyboard how quaint watching jimmy Doohan type that rapidly on the computer i get it he's a future man but there's no way like you see like no one pushes buttons on a thing it's like yeah okay Chekhov and sulu and Uhura push a button and then that's it, right? They push a button and then announce a thing. They're not typing. I think that the art of typistry is lost by this point in the 23rd century, 24th century, whenever the fuck this is. Oh, um, it's like Latin, and that was something he really enjoyed. Uh, maybe true. it's like if you want to hand make your own books. Right, right. And he, was, he just wanted to type. It's like writing a he cursive is, now. He is the most tactile of the uh, group. Um... Oh, I'd love to get a, get a hold of those love handles. <laughs> oh boy! But I I couldn't pick that scene because it's so funny. Even though I mean they they're really pay, playing like fast and loose with the idea of a um, like temporal paradox. I'm like oh let's just give this guy this future technology. Sure, it's 1986. It's cool. This guy seems like a like a hip dude. It's fine. It's not going to destroy something. It's not going to be a butterfly flapping its wings and. Uh, anyway, all right, and then um, there was a certain point where I thought, like, oh man, maybe the scene in the Italian restaurant because uh, Catherine Hicks, all of her dialogue is so heavy-handed. It's like, and then this. The problem is that they won't be that much safer at sea because of all the hunting this time of year. So you see that that, as they say, is that. And then this. It's like the the most sobbiest of sob stories and it's it it is right on the edge of being parody and i think it tiptoes over it and then shatner is this is this scene is my favorite work that bill shatner has ever done i've seen a lot of his work i've seen all of his twilight zones i've seen some tj hookers this is like this is incredible it's incredible to see that kirk performance in that scene What is it? I thought I told you never to call me. Sorry, Admiral. We just thought you'd like to know. We're beaming them in now. All right. Tell them phasers on stun. Good luck, Kirk out. 
You want to try it from the top? Why don't you tell me when those whales are leaving? <sighs> Who are you? Who do you think I am? Don't tell me. You're from outer space. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. Oh, well, I was close. I mean, I knew outer space was going to come into this sooner or later. The truth? Oh, I am all ears. <laughs> um, I didn't pick it and I also think it might be the best scene in the movie because it's so funny and so fun um, so uh, get to it here it is oh my pick look at that oh that's quick that is quick that is really we're not even halfway through and I'm, I'm making my pick um, Webster's defines the word pick as a <laughs> Oh, all right. So mine, it, it feels sort of arbitrary, and um, I don't care. In the opening, uh, there's a council, and they're watching the destruction of the Enterprise and deciding on the fate of Kirk and the Enterprise crew. Um, my problem with this is is not necessarily... It's not necessarily Star Trek Force fault. They're just doing a, a lazy thing that has been done since the beginning of cinema, and that said, they're using other footage... Uh, maybe not the beginning of cinema, but like, it's like I'm watching the end of Star Trek Three on this monitor in this hall with the, like the same cuts, the same different camera angles, and it's just, it's not even gussied up to make it look like security cam footage or you know the dash cam from the Klingon Bird of Prey. Um, well, security cam footage from that era looks like our finest ah, cameras. Right, right. There's the there's the digital editor working seamlessly. Yes. Um, so that that's the it's the that it's just that kind of like reusing footage isn't cool. It's like, it's just not, it's, uh, this is really arbitrary, but it's, it is, it's a lazy technique. Um, and it takes me out of the moment. It's like, oh, wait, this is like previously on Star Trek, the movies. Uh, yeah. So that, I wish I could say it better. Again, I dropped out of junior college. I say again, because I don't know that I've mentioned this yet. Uh, wait. That's not the right way to say well, it. Well, I mean, that, if you mention it in the future, people may listen to these out of order. That's right. That's right. Um, that's right. We did talk about the, the the Great War and the coming fire. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, so that's it. It's, it's a very minor thing. It's a stodgy little, it's kind of a dull, lazy way to present that. Yeah, so that's that's my pick. That's my pick on that one. Solid pick. Yeah. I want to congratulate you on your pick. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek Four. I already did a little introduction for it, but I'm talking sure. a bit more about it. It is, as I've said twice, my favorite Star Trek movie. It was also one of my earliest experiences with San Francisco on oh. film. And I loved San Francisco yeah. in it. It just looked like a cool place to mm -hmm. wander around. And that may have been one of the earliest times where I started to think that's the kind of place I'd want to live is based on the characters in Star Trek walking around in San Francisco. So that's, that's had maybe an influence. Maybe I wouldn't be here had Starfleet uh, been headquartered in Seattle mm -hmm. or in Philadelphia. Maybe I'd be in one of those places. Who knows how that has influenced my life. My favorite scene, because i got to talk about good scenes and a great movie first, my favorite scene is in the hospital when they're 
when they're saving Chekhov. <laughs> I love that whole. Oh, oh yeah. He gets bones at his best. Yeah, I was there. I heard the whole thing. Weintraub says radical chemotherapy. She's going to croak just like that. Well, what about Gottlieb? All he talked about was image therapy. <laughs> I thought they were going to punch each other out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you have a different view, Doctor? Sounds like a goddamn Spanish Inquisition to me. Bad day. Holy cow. He's complaining about the surgeon at the time, <laughs> talking about it being <laughs> the dark ages, and essentially providing miracle cures for random people throughout the hospital as he, as he <laughs> runs into them. I love that. Yep. And Bones is my favorite character, and that is that's one of his best scenes in any of the movies. Well, that's my favorite. When it comes to my my least favorite scene, there's a few possibilities. One of which is the council that you just mentioned. That's so really cheap. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be there, but it's just eh. yeah. There are other ways to do that. Really, the whole opening before they get to San Francisco. It's, it feels a little bit off because I mm -hmm. want to watch right. them wandering around right. in San right. Francisco. Right. This is all kind of weirder Star Trek. It's it's a holdover uh, really from the third one to some degree. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same tone as the rest of the movie. Right. And I'm here to watch Star Trek 4 right now. And it's not Star Trek 4 for, you know, 12, 15 minutes. Right. So that that whole thing, it's it's. I'm just waiting to get past it. Right. Whenever, whenever it's happening. Yes, I already know what happened in Star Trek Three. I don't need right. you to explain it to me. I just want to get. To, I just want to get to San Francisco in the '80s. Also, did you notice that Spock, when he was doing his uh, emotional test thing, he was being interviewed by a Dalek? It sounded like. Didn't that sound like it a? Did, it does sound like a Dalek. How do you feel? How do you feel? I do not understand the question. Exterminate! 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 Maybe Daleks, maybe Star Trek and Doctor Who exist in the same Holy universe. Shit. Oh shit. my god. By that century, they've all become just online test programs for the University of Phoenix. <laughs> the Vulcan chapter. <laughs> yeah, they're learning, they're using that as, to learn how to use Doctor Who to learn emotion and we use the Dalek voice to uh, deliver that test. So, if I didn't choose that, there's also the restaurant scene, as you mentioned. It's kind of heavy-handed, mm -hmm. but Bill Shatner does a great yeah. job, Yeah, and it's a, it's a wonderful scene. Also, the notion of taking these two, only these two whales to essentially repopulate the, well, mm -hmm. the whales of future Earth. Those are going to be some super inbred whales. I know that might be one thing <laughs> for... That for <laughs> That might be one thing for dumber animals, but whales are really intelligent. Yeah. So it feels like inbreeding might be a bad idea. Right. Like it's not going to lead to, like, whenever the probe comes back in 10,000 years, the whales are going to be dumb as hell and not going to be able to communicate with it because they're going to be so <laughs> yeah, inbred. That's, that's somebody else's problem. That's right. We're trying to deal with the, <laughs> the presence. That's for someone else in the future to come oh, back in time shit. to get those one of those I, whales. I totally thought about inbreeding and like it, it's it's the same, right? It's not just for humans. It's also for beings that are smarter than us, like whales. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, we do it with dogs, obviously. That's how we right. get all these different dog breeds. And that's why dog breeds can be very unhealthy because yep. they've been inbred yep. to bring out all their worst traits so that they look cute for an asshole. Hmm. Much like the royal family. Much like the royal family. Dogs in the royal family, a lot of similarities in terms of their breeding. So my least my least favorite, I also think about when the whales are taken 
just how much of an asshole people that run <laughs> the Crustacean Institute, the Crustaceans, uh, yeah, uh, are to her because mm -hmm. that's her job. She takes care of those wells, and they just. It's not like she's gonna. It's not like she can stop you from taking them. Right. At least let her say goodbye. We thought this would be easier for you. And I think about how stupid that is and mean it is. They left last night. We didn't want a mob scene with the press. It wouldn't have been good for them. Besides, we thought it would be easier on you this way. You sent them away without even letting me say goodbye Jillian. to them? You son of a bitch! And how unlikely it is. I never since the 80s and she's a, a woman scientist. She, she so they, is a woman. And that's exactly how they would treat her. The, yeah. She's the woman and she's the head scientist over this. So she, we don't want her to get emotional. Yeah. So we're going to take him away right now and try to just deal with it. So I guess that's how they would act. Yeah. They are assholes. Yeah, she's wearing a sweater. That guy's wearing a suit. So That tells you everything you need to know about who's serious about business. The business of, of making money from whales and yep. who just cares about them for some sort of woman hippie shit. Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's lots of little things there. Yeah. They're, they land in the middle of a field in a very popular park in San Francisco. <laughs> With the grass, with big indentions in the grass, and nobody runs through there and just runs into it. Well, one person does. One person does, and they go on their way. And that's not something, that's that's fine. That's not something to make a, a worse scene of. My worst scene is every time they cut back to the end of Future Earth, mm. and we see everything going on at Starfleet headquarters, which appears to be in the Marin headlands. What a... Oh, you could have put that right in the city proper. You didn't need to ruin the headlands for your headquarters <laughs> just for the view. But just it just it looks really like the movie didn't have any money. Huh. Which considering they didn't have to spend that much money because they're just wandering around San Francisco. There's very few special effects. There's almost nothing on the on the ships. I just I think of this. It's a movie that I share with people who don't I love Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And I, I even watched Voyager all the way through for, for what that's worth. And there was once I used to watch, a long time ago, Voyager would come on and we'd followed by The Simpsons. And I had a year oh, wow. where I watched, I would just watch Voyager. And then The Simpsons reruns would come on. It'd be an hour of Star Trek, an hour of The Simpsons. It's pretty good. And it was kind of, I was still young, still figuring my life out. And then, maybe there was an article on Salon.com back when it was a more readable <laughs> uh, online magazine. And a guy talking about just how shitty his life was. He used to, every night he would watch... Star Trek Voyager followed by The Simpsons. It's like, oh, that's oh. my life. Anyway, I really like Star Trek is the point, and The Simpsons for that matter. But whenever I show this movie to other people who don't watch Star Trek, my point of showing it is this is actually a really fun series yeah. that you, that that's, they're funny actors and interesting situations. And when you cut to those scenes, it makes the whole thing feel kind of cheap and shitty. Sure. And I, I kind of maybe tense up a little bit when they're on screen. You know what's also, I'm watching this, is that this is um, not dissimilar to episodes of the original show. You know, it, the difference is they're just going to boring 1986 San Francisco. They're not going to Nazi world San Francisco or um, 1930s gangster world San Francisco or Benatar world San Francisco. It's just, it's, it's just San Francisco. But they make the most of it, especially since Spock is such a fucking weirdo space cadet um, still learning how to be Spock again. Um, That's the ultimate away mission. Yeah. And, well, not the ultimate, it's, it's, it's the only movie that's just entirely an away mission. Right. And it's one of our great fish out of water 
comedies when you think about it because sure. they literally take fish out of water. Mm -hmm. Although technically whales aren't fish, and now that just doesn't make any sense as a sure. joke, and that's really ruined everything. Well, but they are fish out of water, and they take whales out of water. Yeah. Friends. That's the end of our Star Trek 4 <laughs> section. Let's move on to, to Star Trek 5. And George, yeah. I believe you're going to tell us about that. Uh, sure. Sure I am. Okay. Star Trek 5, The Final Frontier, also known as Star Trek 5, The Wrath of Shatner, um, was released about two years after Star Trek 4. So all of the momentum that had been generating since... Wrath of Khan had dissipated by this point. Like, it kind of fallen by the wayside. And um, this is often cited as the worst Star Trek movie. I disagree with that. Um, but the film is ultimately the result of an old contract stipulation that Shatner and Nimoy had back from the original TV series. So basically, whatever that was, like, if Shatner got a raise, Nimoy got a raise. If Nimoy got a raise, Shatner got a raise. So Nimoy got to direct two Star Trek movies. So Shatner gets the direct one. And actually, I think Shatner had been holding them up on uh, money for Star Trek IV. And part of his deal was that he got to do the next one. Um, he directed some theater and some TV episodes. And, I mean, Jesus, he's been playing that part. Uh, you don't realize that there was a good chunk. There's a chunk in the 70s when the Star Trek revival happened and Filmation did the Star Trek cartoon TV series. So they had a couple years of that too. So literally he had been doing the character over three decades at this point uh, or over the course of three decades. So sure, why not, Bill? You can direct this one. Um, there were a lot of difficulties with the production and with the script and some of the ideas. Gene Rodberry really disagreed with some stuff. Nimoy and DeForest Kelly really dis disagreed with some stuff that got fixed, which is great because I disagree with the stuff that ends up getting fixed. Um, you can read all about all this stuff on the internet. Uh, the Wikipedia page is pretty good about all this. But I, I wanted to point out a few little factoids about the making of this. Uh, Shatner, uh, this is actually a really physical movie. There's a lot of action in a weird way. It's uh, whereas the last one has almost no action. Chekhov has an action scene. That's about it. Yep. It's all just about a bunch of people talking and goofing about. Uh, Spock does some swimming, I guess. That's some action. But in this one, I guess Shatner would get up at 4 a.m. every day because he was doing strength, strength training and aerobics to get into shape and to you know, maintain stamina through the making of this thing. And uh, Nimoy said that this was the most physical in the series. And that uh, Shatner was back to doing what he enjoyed most in the TV series, which was running and jumping. <laughs> <laughs> and like even DeForest Kelly has some action in this uh, in this film, which is great. But um, this being, I think, a little wrongfully maligned is the worst in the series. Anything that came after Star Trek Four was not going to be good. It's one of those things like, well, what the fuck's what's what are you going to do for an encore after that? There's you know, it could have ended the series. That could have been a fine ending for the whole series. I thought I think six is a great ending for the, the original series. But there were a few things that also... This film did okay. It came in 10th place overall in 1988, 89. 
But this, is, this came out the same year as Indiana Jones 3, uh, Ghostbusters 2, uh, Batman 1. So it was a lot of competition. That actually was the most crowded, the first year of like those really crowded summers of big tentpole event movies. Um, that unfortunately are our entire existence now. So you had that going. And then on the other side, the critics hated this movie. They really, really hated this. Um, I, I, don't, I don't like Rotten Tomatoes, but it's just got a 22% Rotten Tomato meter score or something. I'm not sure how to say any of that. Uh, I would like to quote some Roger Ebert, if I may. Star Trek V is pretty much a mess. A movie that betrays all the signs of having gone into production at a point where the script doctors should have begun in earnest. Ouch. So, with all this fanfare, Richard, what's the best scene in Star Trek V, The Wrath of Shatner? So, the best scene. I, I was actually going to use that Ebert quote as well, because it's such a great quote. Uh, I'll finish, I'll, I'll actually pick up right from the sentence you ended. Oh, good. Uh, screw it. He also added, there's no clear line from the beginning of the movie to the end, not much danger, no characters to really care about, mm -hmm. little suspense, uninteresting or incomprehensible villains, and a great mm -hmm. deal of small talk and pointless dead ends. Of all of the Star Trek movies, this is the worst. Now, we disagree with Roger Ebert on it being the worst because Star Trek 1 is so just boring. And Star Trek 7, I don't like Star Trek 7. Yeah. But if we consider it a different, if we consider yeah, Star Trek sure, Seven a sure. difference, different generation, oh, yeah, generation. A different generation, <laughs> uh, then yeah. And at the time Ebert was writing that, it's not a, it's a, a fairly fair assessment, right? As I mentioned at the beginning, two, four, and six are written by Nicholas Meyer, and they all have all the dialogue between the characters just feels right. There's the right level of joking. Mm -hmm. He seems to really get the characters and how they would talk. This movie wants to have that. It wants to get uh -huh. that, but everything just sounds a little tinny. It's a little bit off. The jokes are bad. Bourbon and beans, an explosive combination. <laughs> Think Spock can handle it? <laughs> are you kidding? With that Vulcan metabolism, he could eat a bowl of termites and it wouldn't bother him. <laughs> No. Jokes are not, it's just not funny. They're forced. There's this whole scene around the campfire where they're doing row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Row, merrily, row, merrily, row merrily, 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 gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Light. Come on, Spark, why didn't you jump in? I was trying to comprehend the meaning of the words. It's a song, you green-blooded Vulcan. And it just feels like, why are we, why won't this stop? <laughs> why are we doing this? Why are we treating it as, why would you sing Row, 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 your boat? That doesn't make any sense. You're adults. It's strange. There's just something, everything, almost every word uttered in the movie sounds like it wants to be Star Trek 4 or 6 or 2. Mm -hmm. just can't quite get there. That's where, of course, Ebert says there should have been script doctors working on it. Yeah. So there's just it's just a boring movie. That's its biggest flaw. It's not, you know, we've watched a lot of just terrible movies. Yep. A while we've been here, the it's not as bad as a Star Wars prequel. Nope. 
Absolutely not. It's not as bad as Die Hard 5. No way. It's it, got personality. It does. It's still a very watchable movie. Yeah. It's just boring. Yeah. Except for my favorite scene. And my favorite scene happens towards the middle, maybe a little bit past the middle, and it's when Spock and Kirk and McCoy are all in the brig together. And they start to talk to each other and argue and fight. Mm -hmm. And this yep. is the only time yep. Yep. where they sound like themselves. What I have done. What you have done is betray every man on the ship. Worse, I've betrayed you. I did not expect you to forgive me. Forgive you? I had to knock you on your goddamn ass. If you think it would help. You want me to hold him, Jim? You stay out of this. The argument right. sounds real. They're insulting right. each other in a real way. It actually feels like that's them yeah. having a fight. And... If the whole movie was like that, it'd be oh, yeah. great. It'd be another great Star Trek movie. It's just, it's only that scene where they really feel like themselves. And as a result, I really like that scene. That's fun. And mm -hmm. it goes on for a while. It's not like a minute. They banter no. and talk for a while. I think they come back to it, too. They go to yeah. Cybok and they come back. Yeah, it's I maybe seven it, or eight minutes right. of, of this is as good as anything Star Trek has done. But then they leave there, and that kind of fades off. It kind of, I'd say, I would consider that scene to end completely uh, when, whenever Scotty, Scotty walks into the beam. Walks oh. into the beam. Yeah. Mr. Scott, you're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Good part over. Right. And we get back to the action, boring action shittiness that yeah. sort of surrounds that scene. Yeah. Wow. So there you go. That's my favorite scene. George, what is your best Same scene? scene. Yeah. Same scene. It's so fucking good. I thought it was going to be the boots because I remember the power boots and the elevator shaft when I was a kid when I saw it. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I don't get why people hate this movie. This is exciting. They're going to ride horses with horns on them. This is great. Um, as an adult, what I want, I want, I want bones. Um, you got to get that bone I want, as an adult. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I want Bones angry at Spock. I want I, I, I want I want the brig scene. I think that if the whole movie had been like that brig scene, it might have been better than four. Yeah. I was... think it's because one thing that's missing from four is a lot of that bones Spock. Like this the thing with Spock coming out of like being dead is that he and Bones aren't sparring as much as like on the original series or earlier in the films or even in the very great Star Trek 3 uh, written by Simon Pegg um, which is almost all Bones and Spock arguing if you haven't seen it it's it, I like it a lot yeah Star Trek 3 kind of starts like it's going to be some sort of dumb action movie mm -hmm. and then becomes a, it a road well, movie with yeah. Bones and Spock using their wits to get out of a tight situation and just alright this is everything I like about the original series I like that we can throw around <laughs> you got to read our minds. We start, right. Sometimes we say yeah. Star Trek Three, we mean right, right. We're talking. I mean, we're uh, talking current era Star Trek Three, starring Chris Pine, and uh, I don't know Leonardo DiCaprio. Nope, the other one, uh, Simon Pegg. Great, <laughs> yep. very similar guys. Um, but yeah, I think that scene in the brig is incredible. Um, just lifted my spirits when it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I had this like huge grin just spread across my face. It was like, holy shit, this is really fun. This is this is why I see Star Trek films. I, I think 
my favorite thing about Star Trek is the humanity. It's the is the 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 dialogue, the friendship, the the humanness to for lack of a better word. It, it's it's that. It's that. It's Bones and Kirk and Kirk and Scotty. It's just all of those folks together kind of having a having a great time. They look like they're having fun. Even though this movie seemed like it might have been a bit of a slog making it, it's it also looks like they're having fun. Yeah. Yeah, and otherwise, from the movie's full of terrible acting. Right. Shatner's certainly not providing direction to people. I I especially himself. I think without there's no rate limiter on Shatner's voltage in this film. It's he's really um to paraphrase Shakespeare, he's out Shatnering Shatner. He's really going for it and the pauses are bigger and the 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 pursed explosions of dialogue just excuse me it will carry my power to every corner of creation excuse me i'd just like to ask a question what does god need with a starship bring the ship closer i said what does god need with a starship jim what are you doing i'm asking you a question who is this creature? Who am I? Don't you know? Aren't you God? And then also, Cybok, um, from the first scene you see him, I, my first thought was like, that's the most Shatner Vulcan I've ever seen in my life. I mean, that guy really has a lot of emotions um, for a cold-blooded Vulcan. Your faith, my friend. There are more of us than you know. You're a Vulcan? <laughs> oh, another thing is like the way some of this is shot is also shot like a like a Shatner speech. The introduction of the Klingons. It's like, oh my God, what's fucking going on here? It was just like um, it was like some some like New Jersey thrash metal band in the eighties on PCP. Like the way that like the 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 lead Klingon comes into the door is like a low angle. It's got that shock of hair, and then the lady Klingon's got all that eye makeup on, and just there should have been guitar solos through that whole thing. It was so, <laughs> it was like Shatner metal is what that was, um, and that was. It was not great, but I thought it was great. It was like it filled me with electricity. Like, oh shit! Oh shit! Look at these motherfuckers! It was. It was really. That's a lot of cussing. I do apologize, but I mean, they were just the craziest looking Klingons I've ever seen. Um, so God bless them and keep them. Oh wait, no, they didn't die. They they turned out to be heroes. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert! Oh. <laughs> yeah. The and of course, as you alluded to, and we'll talk just a little bit about it. Yeah. Gene Roddenberry found that was was agitated at the notion of a search for God right in a Star Trek movie. Just something people have moved beyond at this point in in the universe or on Earth in Star Trek. And he didn't he really did not like that that they were doing that. Of course they in the movie, if you haven't seen it, they do find uh, someone claiming to be God initially, but there's a twist. Yeah. You know what this reminded me of? V'ger from Star Trek, the motion picture. 
it really like that last half was very Star Trek, including the way that the effects looked. It was very two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I uh, I have one stray observation. No, well, so we were going back like this thing about how Shatner this is. We uh, we started watching this the other night, and um, I hadn't seen this since nineteen eighty nine. I don't think I've even seen parts of it. It's one of those things that's just, it's not on TV. It's not, it's not in the hopper. So, um, it starts up and I'm thinking, like, I want to defend this movie. Uh, it's got a really good, like, a really weird opening anyway. A really compelling opening, that guy with the weird teeth and Cybok and, uh... Yeah, Cybok is some sort of Vulcan Jesus. Right, right. So, I'm thinking, well, I mean, how much of this is really... Shatner's fault all these things that are like heaped uh, on his doorstep there's a lot of people who make a movie there's a lot of like producers and studio heads you can't make a tentpole film as an as a total auteur it just usually doesn't happen um so I think you know I think he's just getting shit on because it's easy to poke fun at Shatner especially again coming off before you're gonna hate anything so I'm thinking like, you know, it's not Shatner's fault. And then I see story by William Shatner. Ah, oh, oh, okay. it's Shatner's fault. Uh, and then the next thing I see is Captain Kirk rock climbing. And it's like, aha, <laughs> uh-huh. okay. So it's Shatner's fault. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. The script is certainly the problem. And <laughs> Shatner's happiness with the script yeah. that they had is a true sign right. that uh, he was not really the right choice right. to be directing. The I movie. think he reached out to Nicholas Meyer to try to get a polish, which is smart. Um, I liked, I, I kind of like the scene where Cybok tries to get them to turn against Kirk, where he shows them the, the, the their saddest moments and feeds on their pain. I know what my weaknesses are. I don't need Cybok to take me on a tour of them. If you just unbend and all. And be brainwashed by this con man. I was wrong. This con man took away my pain. Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know that pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. They're the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. I'm good with... I, I like this scene. This is actually the scene that was the most contentious because I think initially Spock and Bones turn against Kirk. And it's Kirk is the odd man out and... Oh, then he gets to be the sole, sort of the big savior. Like it's just Kirk. It's like Jesus versus Jesus. Uh huh. Uh, I see it now. Okay, yeah, you see why. Okay, Shatner wanted that. It's much better with the compromise. Um, and that compromise leads to the scene in the bridge. Well, no, that's no, that's before. That's but before it's like that. that's the, but that like helps cement it. It's just um, yeah. So oh, I had or my last three observations, and then we'll you know move on. But um. I, I I might be imagining this. There's a James Brown thing in this. Um, so there's a cat lady with three boobs. Uh, I think this predates Total Recall by a few years. So ahead of the curve, as always, Star Trek. Um, so when they're raiding the um, the Peace Village, uh, the cat lady attacks Kirk in the bar, and every time she jumps, she makes a a sound like uh, James Brown from the beginning of I Feel Good, that wah! Wah! And then later on, Kirk tells Cybok he's going to take him to the bridge. So I don't know. It could be coincidence. It could just be like they're using a weird effect. But 
I don't know. And I'm watching this like, am I going crazy? Is this like a weird James Brown Catwoman thing attacking Kirk? Uh, anyway, uh, that's just a really, really random thought. I have one last thought before we go to the final judgment. Please provide it. Uh, now, I've said... To final judgment. I've said before, you, the audience would have hated anything that came after Star Trek IV. They would have looked down on it anyway. Can you imagine if Star Trek VI had come out after Star Trek IV? It would have felt so heavy-handed, so pretentious, and so forced. Uh, like, we needed Star Trek V. We needed the Final Frontier as a palate cleanser. This was the ginger on our plate. This was, you know, without that, then you don't have to rebuild. And then, like, the, the beauty that Star Trek VI, and it is pretentious, so don't get me wrong, but it really works, and... We'll end up talking about that at a certain point, so I'm not going to go too far on that, but Star Trek VI would not have been as well regarded had it not been for Star Trek V. I mean, of course, you know, you're starting a crater. Anything above the crater is good, but yeah. We needed Star Trek V as well, is what I'm saying. I accept that. <laughs> All you need is Star Trek V. So, All right. with that, so now that we're aware of our need for Star Trek V, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we can move on to the last segment of the podcast where we decide whether our choices for the worst scene in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, whether they're better than the best scene in Star Trek V. The Wrath of Shatner. Okay. I'll lead off since lead I off. it's my turn. Um, so we're talking about the brig in Star Trek V versus the rehash in the open of Star Trek IV. It's a no contest. It's the brig. I would say that the brig might be better than, like as an individual scene, might be better than the best scene in Star Trek IV. It might be. As a complete, as a complete package. And I completely agree with you. And I think that... We both chose the exact same scene mm -hmm. in Star Trek V, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about how many good scenes there are in Star Trek V, and also our own personal taste when it relates to Star Trek. Right. But that might be the first scene. That's Is this the first episode where we've chosen the same best scene from a bad movie? Oh, man. It might be. We've chosen the same... I think we've chosen the same movie. worst scene. Yeah. I don't think we've chosen the same. So that means, for all you listeners... That means uh, Taco Bell mm -hmm. next Tuesday. That's a free chalupa. Yep. Uh, paid for by us. Yep. Just please get your receipt, put it in an envelope, write worst scene on the envelope, drop it in a mailbox. We'll get that refund out to you mm -hmm. within six to eight weeks. Now, if you are in Utah, you can actually walk up to the counter and say, worst scene 2018, and they will just hand you the chalupa. And your choice of hot sauce. It is a great partnership we have with Taco Bell on this. We really appreciate you guys coming through for us. It's nice to have you on board. Uh, thank you so much. But that means now that we're done with the podcast. Podcast is over. Wow. Okay. Time is up. Go do something else with your lives. Until our next episode. Save the whales. Goodbye. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Oh, yeah. Live long and prosper. <laughs> that's, that's the right thing to say. <laughs> I knew that I would not I feel good